Support for this broadcast of Two Rivers 30 Minutes comes in part from a grant from Striffler's Family Funeral Homes. From TubeCityOnline.com, this is Two Rivers 30 Minutes, a weekly series of interviews with people making news around the McKeesport area. Produced by Tube City Community Media Incorporated, a nonprofit corporation. I'm Jason Toger, the executive director. On this show, we talk one-on-one with elected officials, community leaders, and others who are trying to make a difference in the Monyoc area. And we also take your questions and comments on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. If you live in the Mon Valley area of Pittsburgh or in the Ohio Valley uh, area of West Virginia, for our listeners over there in the Bethany, West Virginia area, you're, you're used to getting air quality alert days. You're used to notices from the Allegheny County Health Department or from the state telling you about uh, ozone alerts and about uh, air quality alerts. And oftentimes they will talk about something called PM 2.5. PM 2.5. And, and what is that? What, what is PM 2.5? And why should we worry about that? And why? what are the long-term effects of pollution, of air pollution, that, that we... St- can see sometimes and other times that we can't see. Well, a new study that has been published in the uh, journal JAMA Internal Medicine uh, has linked air pollution from both factories and vehicles to worse outcomes for patients with lung disease. People with uh, diseases that are characterized by lung scarring are more likely to die, in fact, the researchers conclude, if they live in areas with higher levels of air pollution composed of chemicals that are associated with industrial sources and vehicles, including this PM 2.5. Well, what is PM 2.5? Why should we be worried about it? And why in particular should folks in the Pittsburgh area uh, be concerned and, and want to know more? Uh, Dr. Jillian Gooby uh, is with the Pitt School of Public Health Department of Human Genetics. She is the lead author of the study that was published last week. Good morning, uh, Jillian. Hi, good morning, Jason. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? Excellent. Uh, Thanks for having me here today. Thank you for for taking the time to talk to us uh, about this research. As I was mentioning, we see this PM 2.5. I see it all the time in in notices from the Allegheny County Health Department, from the EPA, from the State Department of Environmental Protection, oftentimes linked to air quality alerts uh, in the Mon Valley region, which is where the uh, radio stations uh, primarily are based. What is PM 2.5, and and can we see it? Can we smell it? Can, Can we taste it? How do we know it's there? Yeah, that's a that's a really great question. So PM 2.5 stands for particulate matter with a diameter of 2.5 micrometers or less. Um, so you think about a grain of sand. Um, the PM 2.5 is about one one hundredth of the size of the grain of sand. So okay. very, very small particles. Um, and they can be inhaled all the way down into your, uh, into your alveoli, which are the air sacs of your lungs that mm-hmm. the blood vessels surround. Um, and it allows for diffusion of, of that particle from the airways actually into the bloodstream. Um, and the reason that we care about that is because uh, PM 2.5 can cause a host of different... Um, effects on different systems of the body. It's being linked with uh, death from uh, from all causes um, when we just look at death as a whole uh, in general populations. Um, but it can also be linked uh, quite strongly with lung disease, cardiovascular disease, um, stroke, and even uh, even pregnancy outcomes and, and psychiatric diseases, actually. Um, so it's one thing that uh, the Environmental Protection Agency regulates quite strongly because it's one of the 
air pollutants that um, is most strongly associated with um, adverse or bad health outcomes. And it's called 2.5 because I guess it's 2.5 microns, which is a very, very small measurement of, of, mm-hmm. of size. Okay. And That's right. So not just lung cancer or asthma, but a whole host of uh, cardiovascular effects and even crossing the blood-brain barrier and, and causing psychiatric effects possibly as well? There, there has been some linkage to um, psychiatric diseases from exposures to PM2.5. We do know that um, PM2.5 can, uh, in some cases, cross the blood-brain barrier and increase the risk for um, other neurologic conditions. Um, it does in, at least act in the vasculature uh, within, the, uh, within the blood um, that goes to the brain and goes to other areas of the body um, and increases risk of strokes. Um, so we, we know that it really is uh, something that can transit uh, through any area of the body and can presumably affect um, any organ system. Um, But one thing to note with PM2.5 is that we use PM2.5 as kind of a catch-all term, um, and not all PM2.5 is the same. PM2.5 or particulate matter of that diameter, that size, 2.5 microns um, or less, really refers to any particle of that size. Um, And as you can imagine, there's thousands, if not millions of different types of particles that exist in our air. Mm -hmm. Um, And many of them can be very small molecules. Um, And so what what we need to understand is that um, those that chemical composition, what actually makes up that PM 2.5 is variable depending on where you are in the world what your sources of pollution are, you know, whether you're living next to um, industrial facilities or next to highways. Uh, if you live in very dusty areas or by the ocean, that's going to vary the type of PM 2.5 that you're exposed to. So okay. one of the key takeaways from our study uh, is that not all PM 2.5 is the same. Okay, and, and I wanted to ask you about that. Dr. Jillian Gooby is in the Pitt School of Public Health Department of Human Genetics, and you are working on your PhD. Uh, am I correct yes. about that? Okay. Uh, she is a, an MD. Uh, she is the lead author on a new study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, Internal Medicine, which links the specific chemical composition of fine particulate air pollution with so-called PM2.5 particles to worsened lung disease outcomes. So how, how can we tell that the chemical signature is different from, you mentioned, I think, sea salt and soil dust and sand, sand very fine sand particles. How do we tell that the chemical composition is different for that from, say, pollution produced by diesel trucks or cars or factories? Yeah, so um, we use a um, specific model that allows us to actually break down the composition of PM2.5 into seven constituent components, okay. as they're called. Um, and, and so that is broken down by, into sulfate, um, which is primarily related to steel, coal, other industrial productions, some fossil fuel combustion um, related activities, um, nitrate, uh, which is primarily fossil fuel combustion related. Okay. Um, we have ammonium, which is generally um, paired up with either the sulfate or the nitrate, but is also associated with uh, indus- industry 
um, combustion activities, particularly through fossil fuel combustion, as well as agriculture activities. Um, we have black carbon, which is again related to the fossil fuel combustion, um, but it can also be related to uh, biomass combustion, such as through wildfires and other things like that. Um, organic matter um, is typically made up of more uh, or organic substances, like what you would get from wildfires and other sources from the ground that uh, release small particles that would be kind of, you can think of maybe being a little bit more naturally interesting okay. in the atmosphere. Um, and then we also have sea salt, which if you live close to the ocean, you have essentially salt particles that um, that exist in the atmosphere that you can breathe into your lungs. And we don't presume those to be very harmful generally when we think about okay. it. Um, is, that is, that is that accurate? I mean, that we don't presume, we presume them to be very harmful for people who live by the, by the shore of an uh, ocean? What we've seen, at least in our research, is that it doesn't appear to be the 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 particle type that's really driving a lot of the harmful impacts, okay. at least in our patients. Okay. Um, and then uh, soil, which is, um, you know, comprised of sand and other ground-based particles. Um, you know, when we have patients from uh, our Phoenix site in Arizona, we see that those patients have a much higher exposure to this kind of soil-type particulate um, because they live in a more de desert-type area. So you see a lot more of that. Um, and then there's portions that we can't accurately characterize. Um, but we get this breakdown from actually a model that is uh, developed by a group out of um, Dalhousie University in Halifax and mm -hmm. Washington University of St. Louis. And it's a satellite derived model. Um, so they use satellites, NASA satellites, to actually look at um, different areas of North America and see how hazy essentially is it over a specific region. And they combine that with measurements that are actually done on the ground that are specifically measuring these chemicals. Um, and they also use some complex modeling systems. And that gives us a really accurate estimate of the PM2.5, as well as the composition breakdown of those seven constituents that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. That's accurate to about half a mile, um, which is a fairly small area, um, especially in, in comparison to a lot of the other techniques that have been used previously to look at um, this type of uh, air pollution in, um, in vulnerable patient populations. There is a map in your um, uh, study that I want to discuss because it, it shows the areas of high uh, PM 2.5 concentration, and it's striking um, the eastern United States, east, east of the Mississippi, um, the Golden Horseshoe area of Ontario uh, around Hamilton, Toronto, um, and Buffalo, New York, and then Southern California <laughs> all turn up uh, very, very dark on that map. Um, but we have a 30-second break uh, to take, so when we come back, I want to ask you, uh, about what we are looking at on that map and also specifically focus down on the Pittsburgh area where we do have a high percentage of uh, plants that burn coal uh, to do various various things, mostly in the steelmaking process and what that says about health outcomes uh, in the Pittsburgh area for our listeners, okay? Okay, great. Uh, Dr. Jillian Gooby is on the phone with us this morning. She joins us from the Pitt School of Public Health. We're talking about a new study published in the Journal of the American Medi Medical Association Internal Medicine, which links the chemical outcome, or the chemical composition, rather, of fine particulate air pollution to worsened outcomes for patients with lung disease. They studied more than 6,600 patients with uh, lung disease in the United States and Canada and linked their home address with satellite and ground monitoring air pollution data to determine 
determine what the composition of the air pollution was in particular. And what they are finding is that chemicals associated with uh, high percentage of vehicle traffic and industrial pollution uh, have worse outcomes. Broadcasting from the Tube City Center for Business and Innovation in downtown McKeesport, this is Two Rivers 30 Minutes on Radio 81 WEDO, 1550 and 101.1 WZUM, the Pittsburgh Jazz Channel, and Tube City Online Radio. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Support for this broadcast comes from Striffler's Family Funeral Homes. Since 1866, Striffler's has provided compassionate professional memorial services for families in White Oak, McKeesport, Dravosburg, Portview, and the surrounding areas. Striffler's offers comprehensive pre-planning services and aftercare. And through its affiliated company, Design Monuments, Striffler's also provides permanent markers and memorials crafted in stone, bronze, and other high-quality materials. Learn more at Striffler's.com or call 4 4- one two six seven eight six one nine one. We're talking about a new study uh, that links. Uh air pollution from factories and vehicles to uh, worse health outcomes for patients with a certain type of lung disease. And um, uh, Dr. Kuby, you were saying that this is lung diseases that cause scarring uh, in, the, in the lung tissue. And all lung diseases sound scary to me, uh, but why are, what are lung diseases that cause scarring in particular? Yeah, so this is a group of conditions called interstitial lung diseases, which are, um, you know, a group of over 200 different types of uh, diseases that are characterized by this scar scar tissue that forms in the lungs. Um, So the most common uh, form of interstitial lung disease is called idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, which um, some people may have heard of, or IPF. Um, But there's other causes that can be related to autoimmune diseases such as rheumatoid arthritis or scleroderma um, or other conditions like that. And they can also be related to occupational exposures. So asbestosis or silicosis or uh, coal workers lung. So other other exposures that you've had throughout your lifetime, we know inhaled exposures um, can cause this scarring of the lungs. Um, And so these do represent a um, a large group of uh, of people who have these uh, these conditions, um, and they are they can be very severe conditions that can cause a lot of limitation to people's daily activities, lots of shortness of breath, um, and and often a very shortened lifespan. So it is it is something that can be very serious, um, and these are a particularly vulnerable population that we need to be um, considering, uh, especially because we think that these individuals represent a group that is most likely to be kind of the most susceptible to the harmful impacts of air pollution and other environmental exposures. But some of the conditions that you mentioned there, rheumatoid arthritis, scleroderma, uh, occupational exposure to asbestos or or other types of uh, uh, industrial pollution, I'll bet there are not too many people in our audience that don't know someone with one of those conditions, especially for for listeners who are uh, 50, 55 and older, I would think know a lot of people that may have one of those conditions. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, 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 is a, it is a much more common disease than we realize. It just isn't uh, so frequent that we group them together that, um, that they sound like rare diseases when you look at them all individually. But when you look at um, people that have these diseases as a group, um, you know, it would be one to two percent of the population may have some form yeah. of uh, scarring lung disease. Um, and not all of them are, are very severe. Um, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis is very severe. It has a median survival of three to five years from the time of diagnosis. So um, 
similar to some forms of cancer in terms of survival time. Um, but, uh, but certainly we can see on CT scans when we look at the lungs of, uh, of people, uh, especially in regions that, or from groups of people that have lots of occupational exposures or lots of other exposures, we do see evidence of scarring um, on a much larger proportion of the population than we might otherwise uh, realize. Um, and it does tend to affect uh, older individuals as well. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Jillian Gooby from the Pitt School of Public Health. Uh, she is the lead author of this new study. Uh, before we took the break, we, we, you, you specified that the, the specific type of air pollution poly, uh, uh, particles that you are looking at, PM2.5, w- what your study links is the outcomes of exposure to this PM2.5, which again is one one hundredth of a grain of sand, um, very, very tiny particles, that you can distinguish between people who have been exposed to naturally occurring PM2.5, such as sea salt or uh, dust from soil or dust from sand versus um, PM2.5 produced by industrial processes and produced by car pollution and, and, and truck pollution. Is there any research as to why the body's tissues respond differently to the industrial sources versus the natural sources. How does, how does the body's tissue know that one is nitrates and sulfates produced by uh, industrial processes versus you live near the seashore and you inhale a lot of aerosol, sea salt, and, and, and sea air? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. And one thing to clarify is that um, most people are going to be exposed to some of all of those different mm-hmm. forms of PM2.5 pollution. So even in Pittsburgh, when we're not by the ocean, we still have a small um, component of sea salt particulates. So we can we can pretend to. we're we can pretend we're near the ocean. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> Although the people in Miami and San Francisco have a lot more of it sure. than we do, but sure. <laughs> but we do get a little okay. bit of that type of particulate as well. Um, but uh, but we we see that the uh, people from our, our Pittsburgh cohort are exposed to a much higher fraction of, uh, of those sulfates and those nitrates and those uh, ammonium particles that, that when we look at the impact, at least in our patients with the scarring lung diseases, those appear to be um, associated with the uh, highest impact on, uh, on mortality or survival. Okay. Um, they're, uh, they're, they seem to be causing the most harm okay. from what we can tell. There hasn't been very much research on a molecular level as to um, what is actually causing um, those particles to be much more toxic. We are in the process of running those studies right now in our lab. my, one of my PhD supervisors, Dr. Yang Zhang, um, at the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, we're in her lab. We are um, culturing cells at, from the lung tissue and treating them with ammonium sulfate and ammonium nitrate to see how the cells respond. If that triggers an inflammatory or a fibrotic scarring response, um, and uh, and we have some interesting preliminary data that does suggest that there there may be some inflammatory pathways that are activated when we treat the cells with those types of particles. Um, I'm also looking at um, the molecular uh, impacts um, on a kind of a little bit more of a uh, um, larger scale, uh, looking at how these types of constituents actually seem to influence um, what is called DNA methylation, um, which is a type of epigenetic factor that 
controls whether genes are turned on or off. Um, and we do see that these um, nitrates and sulfates and, uh, and ammonium particles do seem to be um, modifying the um, DNA methylation, the turning, the those signatures that turn genes on and off more so than our other um, types of particles. So we, we can see both on a um, cellular level, um, as well as on a kind of genetic and epigenetic level, um, that these particle types do seem to be um, uh, conferring a little bit more of that um, inflammatory and, and scarring um, effect and activating some of those pathways a little bit more. Now, you used your, your research team used um, satellite data as well as ground monitoring sources of air pollution to track, to correlate where these high uh, percentages of um, industrial air pollution were. And as I mentioned, I'm looking, and this is both in the United States and Canada, and as I look at the map, as I mentioned before the break, it's very striking how much of it is, seems to be centered over the eastern U.S. and Canada, as well as southern California. Um, what 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 has that? Well, this is probably beyond the scope of your study. But um, are 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 these areas that are the eastern United States, Southern California? Are they places with high percentages of people who are reporting lung diseases and and, and long term lung ailments? Well, we certainly do know that um, there are quite high frequencies of asthma um, and other, uh, you know, especially occupational type lung diseases in um, the Pittsburgh area, particularly in uh, regions that experience the highest uh, levels of air pollution, um, particularly uh, particularly with PM 2.5 um, pollution. Uh, but we haven't done uh, specific research to look at um, what is called the incidence or the new diagnoses of these scarring lung diseases, because we would need to get data um, across the U.S. Um, okay. in order to really uh, adequately perform that study, which gotcha. is something that we would we would like to um, like to be able to do uh, in the future. But one thing that I wanted to bring up about that is uh, you're looking at the map from our study that. Um, that is a great visual representation of how much variability there is in PM 2.5 across the country. Um, and, um, and one thing to note is that that map is a, is a map that is essentially the um, average of the year for 2005. Okay. Um, so that map looks better now. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> air quality, air quality has improved okay. in the past 15, 20 years. So while we're, lowering our pollution levels because we're decommissioning coal, we're, um, you know, having a little bit more energy transition, we're regulating different industries that cause high levels of pollution. On the converse side, we also have um, factors that are working against us that are potentially worsening. We'll be back in 30 seconds to wrap things up. You're listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, a production of Tube City Community Media Incorporated. If you've got an idea for someone who you'd like us to interview or a question or comment, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. There, the, oftentimes I will hear people say, well, we don't know that this pollution is local. It might be coming in from other parts of the country. How much confidence can we say that these are linked to uh, regional or local sources rather than coming from China or some other uh, part of the world? 
Yeah, so it's a little bit of a, a complicated question to answer, and that does bring into consideration a lot of um, atmospheric chemistry and how, how particles disperse over time and space. Um, and, and so there are ways to do specific source apportionment studies where you can measure the PM2.5 and say, okay, this came from this factory for sure. But that requires a lot of um, on the ground okay. uh, work and, and is quite small scale. So it can be harder to apply to larger populations. Um, but my colleague who's a co-author on this manuscript that we're talking about, um, Dr. Uh, Jim Fabizak from um, the uh, School of Public Health as well at Pitt, um, he, uh, and I are uh, interested in looking into um, some using the satellite data to look at local sources of uh, pollution, such as through fracking um, and coke plants and uh, coal-fired power plants, mm -hmm. and and seeing how um, those regional sources, whether or not we can get some of that more granular data about those uh, specific point sources um, and what sort of health impacts are uh, affecting the local communities related okay. to those specific sources. Dr. Jillian Gooby is our guest. She is from the Pitt School of Public Health Department of Human Genetics. She's the lead author on a new study which links the chemical composition of certain kinds of fine air pollution particles to worsened outcomes for people with certain kinds of lung disease. They studied more than 6,600 patients uh, with um, uh, interstitial lung disease, fibrotic interstitial lung disease uh, in the United States and Canada, and they linked their home addresses with satellite and air pollution data to determine the composition of the air pollution to an accuracy of less than half a mile. So we found that patients that were exposed to high levels of PM2.5, especially from um, sulfate, nitrate, ammonium, those kind of human-derived industrial sources of um, PM2.5 pollution, had a substantially higher risk of death uh, as compared to those patients with uh, with lower um, uh, lower exposure. So in our Western Pennsylvania cohort, um, they had about a 4.4 times uh, increased risk of death when they wow. were in the high pollution exposure group as compared to the low pollution exposure group. So it was a really huge impact, um, kind of scary. And and if people are listening to this and, and they're concerned um, about this issue, what can they do? What can an individual do? What can someone in the community do? How can they help their, their doctor or their public health professionals uh, to tackle this problem? Yeah, I think that that is a really critical question. Um, and I think that what is very important and what I hope that this type of research um, helps to stimulate is uh, more discussion between healthcare providers, patients, and scientists about how we can combine forces to um, actually act on air quality in our region. I, I truly believe that patients and people from the community um, should be advocates for, uh, for air quality and environmental action, and that physicians like myself um, and my colleagues should be having these conversations with our patients. Um, what, uh, what can be done on the local level, on the community level, is you can, um, you can engage your local politicians, you can engage the Allegheny County Health Department or your local health department uh, about what they're doing about air quality in the region. Um, there are a number of excellent um, local non-for-profit uh, groups that are working on this. Um, one that particularly comes to mind that is 
part that is especially focused on this area of air quality in the Allegheny region. It's a breathe project. Mm -hmm. um, so getting involved, um, getting involved there, uh, you know, volunteering your time or just, um, you know, getting on an email list, um, uh, voting, going to your local council meetings and asking about air quality and, and just engaging, engaging your community members, engaging your physicians, um, engaging anyone that um, that you know who's in a position of uh, power or leadership in your community and asking them about air quality because they should they should know about air quality and they should be acting on it. Okay. Um, if you would like to read more about the study, you can get a link to it by going to upmc.com. Click on the newsroom link. There is a discussion of the study and as well as, I believe, a link to the study. Uh, it is it is um, being published last week in the Journal of the American Medical Association Internal Medicine. And lead author, Dr. Jillian Gooby, uh, has been our guest this morning. She is in the Pitt School of Public Health Department of Human Genetics. Dr. Gooby, thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us. The uh, article is open access, so that it, that means it's free for everyone to read. Um, so I do encourage you to uh, have a look at the article if you can. Thank you. And thank you all for listening this morning to Two Rivers 30 Minutes. So long for now. You've been listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, copyright Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Opinions expressed on this program are not those of Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Listener support makes this program possible. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our website at tubecityonline.com and click on the donate link. You can also get a free subscription to this program and other podcasts at our website using Apple's iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you've got a question or comment, we hope you'll write to us. Our address is Tube City Community Media Incorporated, P.O. Box 94, McKeesport, PA, 15134. You can email us at TubeCityTiger at gmail.com or call us at area code 412-614-9659. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online.